Welcome to The Jury Is Out, a podcast for trial attorneys who want to sharpen their skills and better serve their clients. Your co-hosts are John Simon, founder of The Simon Law Firm, Tim Cronin, personal injury trial attorney at The Simon Law Firm, and St. Louis attorney Eric Veith. Welcome again to The Jury Is Out. We're all busy and you might have missed some of our podcasts. Here's one of our favorites. I hope you enjoy it. We'll be back with a new episode of The Jury Is Out next Wednesday. Hi, this is John Simon. This is Eric Veith. Welcome to our next edition of The Jury Is Out. Today, we're going to talk about client intake. I know previously we talked about the importance of client relationships and building trust with your client and open communication. And now we're kind of going the next step. We're going to talk about client intake, getting information from the client. All the things we're talking about today is really a continuation of, of, of building that relationship with the client. But we're going to get a little more specific in terms of what information you get from the client, how you get it, you know, what specific things you want to cover and talk to, to the client about uh, at the get-go. It's a long conversation with your client. It's an ongoing conversation. But there's a lot of stuff that you need to get up front. So I guess that's where we'll start, right? The, the, the first things. Right. And we're going to start with uh, the first client interview. What do you want to accomplish? What do you want to talk about? Obviously, I think the most important thing is, is getting to know your client. Uh, you're going to be with that client for a couple years or so, probably. And I've always said that I'd rather have a client that I like with a tough case than a client I don't like so much with a really, really good case. So, you know, hopefully at this point you do like the client and the cause. And um, in any event, I think at the first meeting, you, know, you want to listen first and hear the story. And the first and foremost, you want to be there and listen to what the client has to tell you. That's what it's all about. I believe we talked about this already, that when you take a case, you're not taking a case just looking at that moment. You're thinking about all the way through when you, when you take a case or start interviewing the client, you always have that moment of going to the jury in mind. That's, that's go, part of this interview is how will this go before the jury? Yeah, and I think part of it, it cuts both ways with the trust issue. I mean, obviously, the client needs to trust you and have confidence in you. But, you know, as I said, it cuts both ways. You need to be comfortable with that client yourself. You need to be able to, uh, you know, trust what the client is telling you. And, uh, you know, that, that's something that I always do during the first meeting is get to know the person in addition to finding out what the facts are about the case, also getting to know the person, what their background is, a little information about their family. Maybe we could talk about some more specifics. For instance, in your in your uh, situation, how much time do you set aside for a first interview? You know, you really can't tell. I would say at a minimum a couple hours, but I'm there for as long as I need to be there, period. And some some cases, literally, I'll spend the better part of a day uh, with the client talking to them and uh, what, whatever it takes. I'm just wondering, what, what's your range of how quickly you've ever taken a case? And, and on the other side, sometimes it takes several meetings. I think I can make a judgment about the case and whether I want to take the case early on, depending on the, on the type of case. Some cases you can evaluate a lot easier. Other cases, it takes a little bit more effort. And I, I would say a lot, a lot, most of the cases that we take we're not going to be able to make that decision during the first meeting. The first meeting for me is, what do you want to accomplish? Well, the client, you want to try to build trust with the client. The client needs to decide whether they want to hire you to handle the case. And the flip side is, you've got to decide whether you want to take the case. So there are really two things going on. But as I was saying, if it's a complicated medical malpractice case, 
you're not going to make a decision as to whether or not you're going to take that case during the first meeting. It will require follow-up. It will require gathering the medical records, sending those medical records to a good qualified expert to look at them, meeting with that expert, doing some research, uh, maybe maybe looking at some medical literature, you know, investigating other uh, cases that have been filed with similar issues. So all of that stuff needs to go into the process of deciding whether or not you want to take the case. And I, I think, I think the last time we looked at it here, we probably, we probably take one out of 40 or 50 cases that we look at. That's, that's the rigorous screening process that we go through. And, you know, I got a saying here at the office, sometimes, not, not sometimes, I, I'd say some of the best cases are the ones you don't take. One of the reasons why we would turn down a case is, is are the damages. In most cases, you're not going to figure the liability out during a first meeting or even some initial investigation or research, uh, especially if it's a product case or a medical malpractice case. So what I look at is, what are the damages? What are the injuries? If somebody went through some bad stuff, but now they're okay, they're back on their feet, they're back to work, that's probably not a good candidate for for a case that we would take in this office. I mean, it needs to be at, at the get-go somebody who is you know, pretty, pretty, pretty bad shape. I mean, permanent lifelong injuries that's going to keep them from working. And so that, that's really the first thing that we look at. There's two issues that are going on. Obviously, you're looking at the client and they're looking at you. You're both deciding whether this is a good partnership going forward. And these two problems that I often face, a client wants you to make a promise about what the case is going to do, what, what's going to happen here. And that often is coupled with unrealistic expectations. Well, I never make that promise uh, about what a result is going to be in a case because you can't. You just can't do it. But what what I can do is promise them that I will give it my very best. And I, I do make that promise, and I make it every time I, I decide to take a, a, a case in that initial meeting with the client. You know, I, I tell them, uh, you know, this is not a certainty, but I will tell them that, you know, there are certain elements of damage that you can recover and it includes future lost wages. It includes damages for future medical care, which could run into significant amounts of money, you know, depending on the case. I'm very, very hesitant to give them a number, and I don't do that. But one of the things I say is, if it was not a very significant case, uh, we wouldn't be here talking to you about it. If I didn't think it was a significant case, we wouldn't be having this conversation. You know, most people are, are satisfied with that. I know that every case is different. Let's assume you have two parents in, they have a deceased child who was hurt in some way. They're very emotional, and they want something done, and they're they're in, more insistent than perhaps other clients because the emotions are high. What is your typical approach for taking people who are extremely distraught in that first in that first meeting or early on in the client relationship? I think you need to listen to what why they're in your office. And I see in the majority of cases, I will hear this from my client. They're certainly there because they want justice. They want compensation. But they'll also tell me that they're there because they don't want what happened to them to happen to somebody else. And, you know, I explained that both of those things go hand in hand. You know, if we pursue the case and we're successful in the case, you know, you can't guarantee that it's not going to happen again. But I think the best thing you can do to prevent something from happening again is to pursue the case and get a result in it. I'll tell you a story in a case I had years ago. I had a client, their son died, and it was uh, in an accident. I won't go into the details of it, but um, it, it was a construction accident. And I never once had a conversation with them about the value of the case. Not once. They didn't ask about it. I didn't bring it up. And uh, fast forward a couple years, 
after I met them, uh, we were in a courtroom, and after a full week of trial, because actually it was a Friday night, and the first time we got an offer in the case from uh, the defendants, there were two defendants in the case, and it was a significant offer. And uh, so we went into a conference room and talked about the offer. And, you know, at that point, both parents looked at me and said, do you think that's why we're here? And my heart just jumped. That was the best news that I, I wanted to hear. The case was going very well. We ended up continuing the case, uh, you know, rejecting the offer, continue the case, and we got a verdict. And really, that's what, that's what the parents wanted in that case. You know, money was secondary to them. They wanted, they, you know, they wanted vindication. They wanted a, you know, a judgment and a verdict. Uh, and that's what we were able to get them. I know I'm digging down into some details here, but what, what kind of preparation does your office do before you would meet the client typically? Well, again, it depends on the case. If it's a, and it depends on what information we have before that, that first meeting. You know, sometimes you're going in cold and you really have very little information about what happened whether it's a, you know, a medical error or it's a defective product or an auto or, or you know, truck crash. Other times you get a little bit more information. You know, maybe you got it through a series of emails or a telephone interview. And under those circumstances, we can do quite a bit of work before that first meeting. For instance, if the case involves a particular product, we can gather a tremendous amount of detailed information even before that first meeting. Uh, you can go online. You can get the manual, the owner's manual for the particular product. You can go online and look at other similar models. You can look at alternative designs. We can find out whether any of the lawsuits have been filed, or, you know, from that product. And you know, if it is truly a defective product, it's probably it's probably happened before, and there are probably probably other lawsuits out there. Do you have a checklist of things you want to make sure you accomplish in that first interview? Yes, and it's usually a mental checklist. Nothing that I you know write down going in, but. You know, to me, the most important thing is listening to the client's story. Just, you know, let them talk and listen to them. I think one of the, one of the things, too, you want to accomplish during that first meeting is impress upon your client the importance of open, honest communication. Uh, people are reluctant, and it's not that they want to, you know, hide things, but a lot of times people don't want to, you know, don't want to open up about things they have difficulty talking about. And you really need to let them know that, it's okay if they don't want to talk about it that day. There'll be time to talk about it later. But I always bring up the attorney-client privilege and, and let them know that everything that we talk about is completely, absolutely privileged. Let them know that there's no such thing as a bad fact in a case. If we know about it, we can deal with it. Do you or your office assign homework of any sort for a client who's about to come meet with you for the first time? Yeah, we usually do a phone interview before they come in. And we'll go over what information they may have, whether it's medical records, if it's a product, they may still have it at home. You know, give them a list of things and have them bring them in with them. I handle a lot of consumer cases. And what I tend to do is to ask the client on the phone first time to prepare a chronology of the basic things that happened. Because there, there's often, you know, the first meeting with a merchant uh, who they feel ripped them off. And then there was something that happened. And then what went wrong? And just give me some basic dates. So it, it might be one page where we get a, an outline of just the basic events leading up to today. I find that's a really good preparation for the first interview is now we can talk about things. Otherwise, I find that the first interview is really long where the client is spending a lot of time trying to remember something. And I'd rather they do that on their own at first. And then we meet and then we fill in the holes. I think that's a great idea. It allows you to be more focused during the meeting. If you gather all the information you can before the meeting, it does let you be more focused when you do meet with the client. I'm going to uh, tell a short story about a client that came in 
this was a consumer case where they said they were ripped off and they said the merchant said X and it was a critical point, but there was something about it. I had a sense the way they said it, there was something about it that, that bothered me. And so I called again, we had a second meeting. I wanted to know more details about this, this statement because the paperwork also didn't support it fully. And then it became weaker. And on, and later in, the, in that final conversation, they actually admitted actually that statement didn't happen or they can't really remember that it was said. And that became a case I did not take. It was one, it's a, a, a great moment for me, of course. I did not take a case that I, would have been a terrible case. But I'm wondering how often you might have a sense that there's something going on. There's a, there's a worry. There's something rumbling in your client. It's funny. We're, we've talked many times about, you know, you learn from your experience. You learn from your mistakes. Uh, not, not that necessarily this is a mistake, but, you, you know, years ago, uh, it was a product liability case, very, very, you know, serious, significant case. It involved an automobile. It was an automotive product case. And I was representing a young man in that case. And I'll just say this, that we were well into the case when I found out that the information that I was provided in the beginning wasn't, wasn't accurate. And at that point, you know, obviously we decided to withdraw from the case. And, and it was really, unfortunately, it was something that had it been fully disclosed in the beginning, would not have been a problem in the case. We would have been able to handle it and, and go forward with the case. But, you know, at that point, I just didn't have the, the relationship and the trust that I thought I needed with that, you know, with that particular client. But again, that, that doesn't happen too often, but that makes me even more, you know, diligent in the beginning to just let them know, I need to know everything there is to know about the case, about the injuries. And that, that, that's so important to cover at the beginning. You want to find that out in the beginning. You don't want to find it out when you're 12 months in. In college, I was a volunteer counselor for a suicide hotline. And during the training, I remember one of the people being trained asked the question, well, what if the person calls in, but they don't mention anything about suicide? Should we ask them whether they're thinking about committing suicide? And the response was, you need to ask that. Otherwise, they're going to think you're uncomfortable with the topic. The lesson that I still use today in preparing clients is if I'm nervous about something, I ask it. And I want them to know that I'm comfortable with the topic and they should be too. Don't dance around it, hit it head on. You know, ask, was anybody drinking? Was anybody doing drugs? Uh, was there a drug test? If it's a back injury, what other injuries have you had? Any other claims, any other work comp claims? You know, it's up to you as the attorney to, to get all of that information. I mean, it really is. The analogy might be when they go to the doctor, they're, they're scared, right? They might have a disease. They need to be cured. And so they'll spill it out, right? Because if you don't, then the doctor doesn't have everything to work with then they might not have the right diagnosis. They might be wasting their time. They might be getting hurt by the treatment. So with a doctor, everyone has, I think most people have this impulse to lay it all out, let the doctor know what's going on, even if it's embarrassing, even if it seems maybe insignificant. We, we let doctors know what's going on because we want to get cured. And uh, same thing with a, a lawyer, but they, they may not see it that same way because maybe they don't understand the process, how these things can hurt you later on if you don't let your attorney know, uh, you know, I tell, I tell a story actually during a lot of times I've, I've told a story many times where I, I had a, a client I represented that his whole thing was a back injury. This was many years ago as a young lawyer. And he was um, probably in his forties, late forties, early fifties, and had a really serious back injury. It was an auto accident, multiple surgeries, couldn't work anymore. And he, he had 
you know, he was asked, I asked the question, he was asked the question in his deposition, did you have any other back problems? Well, literally in college, he had a sports injury and had gone to a chiropractor for, you know, half a dozen visits and it was about his back. And I guarantee you, he didn't know about that. But, you know, the other side made made what they could out of it. And I use that as a story to let, you know, my clients when I'm, when I'm first meeting with them know how important it is to tell me everything, even though may, they may not think it's, you know, whether or not they think it's important or relevant doesn't matter. I want to know about it. I think the other thing, too, is, you know, there's certain, you know, you're mentioning a checklist. You know, I don't bring a checklist into the meeting, but there are certain things that I always try to cover with the client in, in, that, big, in that first meeting. You know, one of the things is not to communicate with anybody. You know, they've got to understand, obviously, they're told anything that you're talking to me about is confidential, but you can't go home and start talking to everybody about it because that privilege disappears. You know, obviously the the whole online thing is just crazy. You know, you don't want to have a conversation with your client and then, you know, two days later you see what you were talking about on Facebook or, you know, on the internet. So you really got to be careful about that. And as convincing as I try to be, that doesn't always work, unfortunately. I think people just are addicted to the online stuff. I've even gone as far uh, as telling potential clients, I ask them if they have a laptop, you know, or an iPad, and most do. And I tell them what I need you to do, and it's you know sort of tongue in cheek, is I need you to put it in the bathtub under some water, <laughs> and and don't buy another one until this case is over. And and I tell them that just to reinforce how important it is not to put these things online. And as I said, I I think I don't know what percentage it is, but. No, no matter how much I stress that, there's always that client who can't resist and they, you know, put things online that probably shouldn't be online. Obviously, whatever is online already, they need to preserve and, you know, you, you have to live with what's already out there. But you want to try your best to keep them from adding, you know, more things online or talking about the case. One of the things that come up now and then is, you know, bankruptcy issues. A lot of clients don't know that if they file bankruptcy, and, and, you know, here's the thing, too. Most of the clients we represent, the injuries are devastating. There's been a death of maybe the breadwinner in the family. It does cause financial stress. So it's not uncommon for the people we're talking to to be in dire financial straits, uh, and maybe they're verging on bankruptcy. And you want to explain to them, look, you know, this is an asset. This, this claim could be an asset. And if you file bankruptcy, you may lose control over the case. So you want to make sure that that's, you know, covered, you know, that, you know, not to file that bankruptcy without at least talking to you because there are ways, you know, we can we can handle it in a way where that stays out of the bankruptcy. I think it's important to tell the client, you know, not to worry about the case. That's why they hired us. You know, we're trying to take some of that burden off of their shoulders. I, I tell them, look, try to go on with your life as if this case doesn't exist. You know, work on getting better, work on getting well, work on, you know, your grief or, or getting some, you know, some help and, and let us handle everything else. I always tell the clients to call me, you know, 24-7. I mean, call anytime. Don't ever hesitate to, to talk to me or anybody else in the office when they need to. That's a good thing for the client relationship to say, call me anytime. They, they don't abuse it. You know, the other thing is, you know, making sure that this is important too. You got to let the client know about keeping you updated about changes in their life, no matter what it is. If it's a change in a medical condition or medical treatment or a surgery or, you know, they're getting a divorce or, you know, whatever it is, anything significant, you want to hear about it. And I think part of it we try to do in the office is, is at least have somebody give the client a call on a regular basis. You know, not, not necessarily a letter, but a call. You know, I like doing that on the weekends when I'm in the office, picking up the phone, calling a client, 
you know, an unexpected call maybe on a Saturday afternoon and say, you know, I'm calling to see how you're doing. I'm in the office working on your case, thinking about you. What's going on? How are you doing? How do they respond to that? Wonderful. I mean, it's just wonderful. They're surprised and shocked that you're in work and they're on the weekend working on their case, you know, whether it's a Saturday or Sunday. But I find that's the best time to call the client. You're at the office. It's a little more, you know, quiet. It's a Saturday or a Sunday. And, you know, just picking up that phone and, and saying, I'm calling to see how you're doing. And boy, it just, I mean, you, you talk about solidifying the relationship. I found that it's one of the most effective things that I, that you, and you know what, it, it, takes, it takes five minutes or 10 minutes. And it's really one of the best things you can do to solidify that relationship with your client. If we can go back to the interview again, I find one of the best things that I can do is to stop periodically, make sure I listen, and then stop periodically and state back what I understand that they said. Try to summarize what they said. And sometimes I'm shocked. You know, I'll say, so what I'm hearing is this. And they go, no, no, no. And they correct me on a basic thing that I misunderstood. And so I, I try to do this repeatedly through the interview is to make sure I'm understanding by restating. Do you find that useful or do you do yeah, that? Yeah, and you know what? It, it, that's a great point too because, you know, the personalities are different. You know, no two people are the same. And, and some people are just more introverts. They don't like talking about anything, you know, and you got to pull the information out of them. And other folks, you know, you, they just want to keep going on and on. You can't hardly get them to, to stop talking about it. So with different clients, you got to take different approaches. Sometimes, for instance, if you have a client who has a medical background, you know, they're going to be a much better historian, you know, in terms of what, what, what was going on or what was happening at the time, which, which is a great thing. It's good. The other thing, too, is rarely is it one person that comes in. It's usually, you know, that person with family members. And it's good to, to get everybody's input. It might be the, the husband who was, the, you know, the person that was injured. And a lot of times under those circumstances, it's not the injured person who has the most information. It's some other family member. So you need to, you know, you need to, it's one of the things you want to, you know, find out who else was involved and who else from the family knows something about it and get them in at the first interview. Another type of client is the anxious client. And I know you've heard this many times. When you use the word deposition, a lot of people think this sounds like something terrifying, technical. Uh, they don't really understand sometimes what it's all about, but they're very concerned about, will I have to sit for a deposition or for the entire trial process? They don't want to sit in a trial. They're nervous. How do you deal with that just general anxiety? Well, I think one of the things you can do to reduce the anxiety is to let them know what is expected of them through the course of the lawsuit. And people are surprised at how little involvement they will have with opposing attorneys in the case. You know, really the only time they're going to be interacting with anyone other than you is at their deposition. So you let them know this case may go on for 18 months or 24 months and all contact and communication that you're going to have is with me you know, between you and this office. Uh, the only other time would be at your deposition. And I, you know, I'll explain what that involves. Uh, it'll be, you know, you coming to my office, sitting in a conference room with me at your side, and no one on the other side of, of the deposition, the other attorney, will be disrespectful or, or anything but professional because we'll, we, won't, we won't allow that to happen. And, you know, so... And you can tell them, I, I get into a little bit about the types of questions that you might be asked, but most of all, I tell them, don't worry about that now. That's six, eight months in the future. 
and uh, we're very good at what we do. I've been through this thousands of times. You will be prepared and we'll be right there with you. How about the person who's a little wobbly on the facts? They are confused a bit about what happened. How do you proceed in that kind of situation? Well, I think you need to look at what other what other evidence is out there uh, you know, supporting the claim. If it's a medical malpractice case, you get the medical records and see what see what the medical records say. Uh, if it's an auto accident, you talk to witnesses, you get a copy of the police report, the accident reconstruction. What your client may or may not recall may be a very, very small part of the case. If what they're wobbling on is something critical to the case, if it's a breach of contract claim or an oral contract or something like that, that's a different story. But you got to look at the context of the case. If it's a case where your client's testimony is critical to a particular issue in the case, then, you know, then if, if they're not able to support it sufficiently, you got, you got problems, but rarely is that the case. If it's a client that I just don't feel comfortable with, if I don't trust them, we're not going anywhere with that case. This is an endeavor. When we take a case, we're in for the long haul. We're into the, the end, win, lose, or draw. Or we, I mean, if we try it and appeal it and try it again, we're, we're there. We're not going away. You know, when we take a case, we're serious about it. And we will spend, I mean, I've had cases in this office that we spent years, four or five years on and a and, uh, ton, ton of money and, uh, you know, hundreds, maybe thousands of attorney hours. I don't go into any case thinking anything's going to resolve quickly or, or easily. And so, you know, because of that, if, if we're going to go into this battle and give it everything that we have, I want to have a partner, a client who's, you know, somebody that we believe in, trust, and, you know, we're, we're proud to, to represent. We haven't talked about the attorney-client agreement or the fees, but at what point in the client relationship do you bring up the basic contours of what the fees will be and expenses and, and all, all that? You know what? You need to be very crystal clear about that, and I think the time to do it is at the first meeting uh, so that there's no misunderstanding. The client knows exactly how it works. We talk about you know the fee, whatever it is, in the particular case that we're handling, You know how expenses are handled uh, at the end of every case. You know, before that case is settled, if it is settled, or we will, you know, get a, a sheet laying out every expense that was spent in the case, you know, that they will know fully uh, everything about it. Um, in answer to your question, all of that is covered during the first meeting. And I think it's important to do that so the client knows how the case is, you know, is handled. It's very important to do it at the, at the get-go. But the other thing I tell them is, you know, you need to understand that whether a case settles and how much it settles for is completely their decision. And before any decision is made, before I'll let a client decide whether or not they want to accept a settlement, we will lay out every expense, the fee, and they'll know what's important for them to know. And that is, what is the net amount that's going into their pocket? And I, you know, assure them that all of those things will be covered before we even begin to, to talk about whether or not they want to accept a, a settlement. I think you're better off from the plaintiff's standpoint on contingency fee cases. I think it's the best screening system that that was ever invented because, you know, cases, bad cases just aren't taken. I mean, no, no attorney is going to put time, hundreds of hours of time, tens of thousands of dollars of expenses into a case that isn't a very good case. You know, doing that is just not good for the client, not good for the attorney. I mean, things just don't end up well uh, when you take bad cases. I'm going to go back to the client interview one more time. We need to know certain things. And sometimes if the client's response, the initial response is not satisfying, I need to go back. And I find myself cross-examining my own client, digging in pretty hard. And I learned early that there's a way to frame that before doing it. And that's just to tell the client, 
I need to ask you some difficult questions. It's going to seem like I'm hostile to you. It seems like I can cross-examine you, which is what I am doing. If I don't do it, the other side will. And they're going to do it at your deposition. They're going to do it at trial. So I just need to know. And I find that that really relaxes the client. And then they understand why I'm doing this. Because I need to get the bad stuff out. And they know that's why I'm doing it. Right. And you know what? That's a great way to do it. I do exactly the same thing. I explain it a little bit differently to the client. And what I tell them before I even ask questions about their background or prior injuries or prior you know, accidents, what I will do is say, look, when this case goes to trial or when you're giving a deposition, what's going to happen between now and then is the other side in this case is going to gather, request and gather, every single medical record that exists on you, probably in your life. They're going to find every single claim that's ever been filed whether it's a work comp claim or a third-party claim or an auto accident, they will know more about you than you will ever know or remember at the time of your deposition. And that's why we need to be as comprehensive and careful and as accurate as we can be going through these questions. And then I tell them, obviously, you're not going to remember everything, and you won't. I mean, I, I don't remember what I had for breakfast yesterday morning, but we're going to look into it. And, and find it out, and we'll get those same records, and we'll have a chance to meet again and go over it in a little more detail. When things go right, it seems like working with the client is one of the most uh, rewarding parts of being an attorney. It's establishing that relationship, communicating, setting it up that, hey, we're going to be partners going forward. It's a great feeling. Yeah, you know, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, that, that's why I do what I do. It's, it's all about the client. Well, that's it uh, for client intake. Hope you enjoyed this information. We look forward to talking to you in future episodes about other topics. I'm Eric Veith. I'm John Simon. Thanks for joining us, and I hope you tune in for the next one. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with a new episode of The Jury Is Out next week. The Jury Is Out is brought to you by The Simon Law Firm. Share your thoughts with John, Tim, and Eric at comments at thejuryisout.law. Subscribe today because the best lawyers never stop learning.